In July 2011, Thomas Kale sat in conversation with Susan Stroman in her office in Manhattan. They discuss her early exposure to the theater and her impulse to pursue directing and choreographing professionally. The conversation also includes the importance of creating one's own opportunities, the unique aspects of touring productions, and the necessity of deep collaboration when creating theater. This is Hal Prince, and you are listening to In Conversation With. This Masters of the Stage program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and is presented by SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. Hello, this is Tommy Kale. I am with Susan Stroman. Very nice to see you. Very nice to see you, too. Um, I, uh, you know... I think this is probably the longest already that I've spoken to you, and it's been about two minutes since I walked in the door. So I appreciate you spending a little time with me this afternoon. Absolutely. I'm excited. Um, yes, this is the great unknown. <laughs> two people sitting down in, <laughs> across a table with a couple of bottles of water. And, really, and, and, and the smallest tape recorder ever. And the, and the smallest, we are in 2011. Yes, this is 2011. This is actually 2014, uh, yes. and we're beaming it back to 2011. No, this is... This is how the kids are doing it. Yeah. I thought that maybe it would make <laughs> yes. me hip. You yes. should have you should have seen me Very trying good. to operate this thing. <laughs> you know, as someone that's of my generation, whatever that means, I'm a anti Facebook person. I believe in Twitter and news, but I've never been on Facebook. I'm one of the people that has sort of resisted. Uh, so I like to think that I'm slightly old school. Yes. Um, but I think it might just mean out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my chance to try to get in touch with, with other people. Well done. Um, thank you. Um, so. Just to kind of jump in, because there's no real beginning or end. Um, ooh, that's good. Um, it, it, you know, the, the period that I think uh, is always fascinating is the one that people don't talk about. You know, it's, it's easy. There's a, lot, there's a lot on the old Google machine about you. Um, it's easy to look up a lot of those things and see what that stuff is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those, those dark years that they don't talk about in our careers as we're kind of finding our way towards whatever that is, um, is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know... You you went to University of Delaware? Yes, I graduated from the University of Delaware. Okay. And uh, I was raised in Delaware. I'm a Delaware gal through and through. Very cool. And um, and I don't have family. I only have my Aunt Phyllis there in Delaware now, but uh, everybody else is sort of... uh, Passed on or or moved to uh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I had my dear aunt Phyllis there that I'd go see every once in a while. How, how did your family end up in Delaware? Where was uh, they were born? My mother was born in Delaware. Oh, okay. My father was born in Delaware. My my mother's uh, family though came through Ellis Island from Ireland, mm. and uh, but uh, everybody, the whole family, were Delawareans. Was that a common? Was was Wilmington a place where? Uh, you know, people came, you know, and went around this yes. is a place where we're going to congregate, so that was a Yes, the Irish and, and the Germans, I guess, when they came through Ellis Island, they went down to Pennsylvania and Delaware. So that's why there's a huge population of German and Irish. There, you know, I, I'm, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I remember hearing uh, Pete Gurney told the story, Pete Gurney being from Buffalo, and and his, his father would always say, well, if it's any good, it'll make its way to Buffalo. <laughs> You know, in Wilmington, you know, these these places out in the world, that's still my, you know, if I can just get something to go to D.C., <laughs> yeah. you know, then maybe I've made it. Have yeah. you had, has all of your stuff come through? I mean, where I Wilmington? have, actually. I've had a couple shows come through Wilmington, Delaware. There's the most beautiful theater there uh, in Wilmington uh, at, in the Hotel DuPont, which is a beautiful old uh, hotel. 
and it's called the Playhouse, and it's a lovely gem, jewel box of a theater. And I've been very lucky to have shows come through there. Um, I just uh, went down about two months ago because there was a national tour of Young Frankenstein that yes. went through. And it was a big show to stick into a little jewel box of a theater, but, <laughs> but we did it, and the audience loved it, and it was great to go back and, and be a part of it and, and bring Young Frankenstein down there. Was that a, was that a place, um, that, that theater where you went, was it, has it been around where you went to go see shows? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. I would, I would cut school and go down to the Playhouse. And, and of course, it was uh, very scary to go uh, to Wilmington at night, like any, any big, big city. To me, Wilmington was the big city, and uh, but I would absolutely go down there and see matinees all the time, and when everybody thought I was in school. <laughs> well, that's see uh, again for the kids. Good lessons yeah. here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Follow your dreams, kids. Whatever. Follow your what, dreams. Whatever they're saying over there <laughs> doesn't really matter. Get out of school and go do that. Um, and with, with a show like Franklin, obviously you've had a lot of shows that have gone out into the world. Mm -hmm. Do you pick places where you want to kind of go and check in? Obviously, I know you have. There's the you know the maintenance of a show yes. is is a whole other thing that they don't sort of tell you I about know. right yes the the, wor the only thing uh, worse than a flop is a hit <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because the maintenance is so much but you know all worth it all worth it and in fact i love to um once a show is up and running i do love to go back and revisit it if it is lucky to have a national tour i love to get the opportunity to go back and go at it again because then you're not worried about sets or costumes or lights or you can just concentrate on the story and the actors and and uh, new ideas always emerge so I, I absolutely love going back to shows. There's also something and I've, I've had uh, limited experience but with Heights when we went out the other thing that I realized is if you're playing somewhere for a week it's not about the review, right? They right. come on Tuesday or Wednesday. The review comes out Friday. You've, you've sold eighty percent of your tickets yes. before you get in. <laughs> Absolutely. So it really there's a. It's really about the show. Yes. In a very, it's about people that have had that date circled. They wanted to see that show. They come there. They have their subscription. They don't know what yeah. the, they thought it was. Fiddler. It's not. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. we were uh, we were big in Florida when uh, Abuela Claudia, the grandma, came out. Because yes. everyone said, "Oh, well, her I like." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Up until then, it was just no these noisy kids. kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's different in each city. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's exciting, actually, to see how these things play. Right, and and the surprise of that, I, I you know, I think there's a there's a perception of what every show is, mm -hmm. you know, and because you know, coming to Broadway is still about all right, get everybody in a boat or a truck or a plane, get them here, plop down your money, go to dinner. Yeah. You know, when you go there um, to your own theater to your little jewel box, wherever yeah. that is. Yeah. There's something about sharing it in that way that I think is particular. And, and the road reminds you also how much bigger the world is than New York. Absolutely. And how many more people will have the experience of seeing your shows out there. Absolutely. And, and I find that people are, are very appreciative of, of seeing New Yorkers come and, and seeing you know, these designers come to their city. And, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful feeling because they, they've uh, really invested in in that evening going out to see this piece of theater that's come to their town right so there's something actually even more exciting about it yeah no i i yeah. I, I learned that <laughs> i learned that the good way yeah. <laughs> um and so once you finished at u of d mm -hmm. blue hens oh yes okay blue go blue hens, hens. Uh, yeah um, <laughs> so what did you you were coming here and and that was that was our determined no you, you know what i i um I, was, I did community theater in, in uh, the Delaware and Philadelphia area and a lot of it. And, um, and it, it ended, ended up, you know, uh, 
even doing the choreography for the the marching band, and you know, I couldn't yes. get my hands on everything. Directing marching bands and parades goes as a big tradition. Yeah, it's a very big tradition. So, um, yeah, very much a part of being a director and choreographer, even on a very small scale in Delaware and the Philly area. But um, I actually, there was something in the paper. Someone told me that there were open calls for non-equity people for the Goodspeed Opera House. And uh, I was, I just graduated from college and I thought, well, let me go to an audition. I've never been to a big New York audition. And uh, I came up and I think they probably saw about 300 non-equity girls and they took two and I was one of them. And all of a sudden I had to go back home and say, I have something called an equity card and I've got to go, mom and dad. I've got to go. And, and where was your audition? Was, uh, it, was, it, was it at a theater? Uh, it, no, it was at a, at a studio. I and mean, then they're gone now. Mm. It was uh, some studio down, um, it was in, it's in the Times, it was in the Times Square area, but it's since disappeared. Right. Yeah. And it was, that was your first experience with the chorus, you know, with... Yes, that's first experience, so auditioning for real, I mean, at a, at a, uh, an end in New York, and, um, and with walking in and seeing masses and masses of people and dancers. So what I went to mainly is just to have the experience of an, a, a New York adventure, and a New York audition actually changed my life. Right. And which show is this? It was, uh, it was called... Hit the deck. Hit the deck. Okay. That sounds like a perfect <laughs> yeah. show for the Good Speed Opera. Uh, yes, right? absolutely. And for me at that time. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so you, so that was packing my bags, I'm going and I'm doing this thing. Yes, because it, uh, I have to say I was, uh, when I say I was working in community theater in the Philadelphia and Delaware area, I was working as a choreographer and director. And, and I came to New York as a song and dance gal because I could sing and dance. But it was always to sort of assess the situation. I knew I just couldn't come to New York and take over as a director and choreographer. <laughs> I had to come and assess the situation and I could do that by singing and dancing. And then, But I always came here with an eye to be on the other side of the table. When I was a very little girl, my father was an amazing uh, and, 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 and remained amazing piano player for my whole life. Sadly, he passed away, but uh, I grew up with music in the house and, okay. and part of it is that story of dancing around the living room when my father played the piano and uh, creating dance while he played and and it remains so to this day really you mm. know when I hear music I imagine hordes of people dancing through my head I visualize music and it really uh, was passed on from him it started with that great passion for music and, and all kinds of music he played the great standards and rock and roll and classical and uh, so uh, I have uh, a love for many different types of music but um, gives me great, great joy to be in the back of a theater and watch an audience react to something I've created, whether it's they laugh or or they cry or they just put their arms around each other. To see uh, if you've moved an audience in some way is completely fulfilling to me. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you knew you weren't going to come here and say, Susan's here, watch <laughs> out. Here, watch out, world. What, what informed that? How did you, how, how were you aware that you couldn't just come down and say, all right, yeah. where is everything? I'm going to take it over. Well, of course, you you um, you just imagine New York being the the greatest place on the face of the earth, and where it all happens, and where the greatest talents come. And and you know, when Canada and Eb said, "If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere," and I think they were also not only speaking about show business, but any kind of business or 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 dream. 
people are not so much from New York is that they congregate in New York to become the best of what they can be. And the competition is quite strong. So for me coming to, to New York to become a director or choreographer, I certainly at that time thought, could I possibly do this? Could this possibly happen? So I had to really understand even more about my own craft. And I have to say, for for young directors and choreographers, you know, the more that you know about other departments, the better off your own work is. I could create the most beautiful dance step, but if I don't know enough about lighting or costumes, that dance step could be destroyed. Right. So the more you know about every single department, it only makes your work stronger. And, of course, that comes from um, just doing it right. over and over. And so when you were... In, in that, that show at Goodspeed and, and the stuff that you did, you know, subsequently, you were sort of, you were there and then there was a part of you that was also just absorbing. Yes, just and absorbing. Just trying Absolutely. to put yourself in as many rooms as possible. Absolutely. And, and really watching the director and really watching the choreographer. I know um, a, a lot of actors don't do that. It's all about how they can make this part greater. And I, and I appreciate that and that's what they should do. But for me, I always was on, on the other side uh, as more of a visual artist and mm-hmm. And so uh, I knew deep inside, um, although I could perform, it wasn't what I wanted or wasn't important to me. It was more important to create. And were you, were you able to balance those things? I mean, if, if, as you were performing or you were in rehearsal eight hours a day or doing something at night, were you also grabbing a group of people and doing your own stuff? I mean, were, were you well, able sure. to? I think, you know, ultimately, too, I mean, a good piece of advice is that you can't wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> right. You have to create your own work. And, um, and I sort of realized that at a very young age. Um, <laughs> I, it seems uh, to have gone well. It seems I'm, to have gone well. Say, everything yeah. seems fine. But uh, I was, I was, uh, I had done the national tour of Chicago as a performer and played the Hunyak, and it was with Gwen and Cheetah and Jerry Orbach, and um, and then I had um, come to, uh, to to New York and done a, a Broadway show, Whoopi, and and then I had done another Broadway show called. Musical chairs. It only lasted about two weeks. Right, and you assisted on this. And I assisted and was in it. And Scott Ellis was also was in it. Was in the ensemble, right? And yeah, we yeah. both would, uh, you know, lament about how we wanted to be on the other side of the table. And so I found this kindred spirit of someone who was a very great, he was a great actor. He is a great actor, a, a wonderful performer, but really wanted more, wanted to create. So uh, he had done the rink on Broadway, so he knew Candor and Ebb, and I had done the national tour of Chicago, so I sort of knew Candor and Ebb. So we thought if we approached them uh, about possibly doing an off-Broadway production of their show, Floor of the Red Menace, they would either say yes or no, and this is another good piece of advice. Don't be afraid to ask the question, because the worst thing that could happen is someone says no. So we went and asked them, and and they said yes. It was like, oh, okay. (laughs) We were 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 ready ready for the other one. We were ready for the no. And so uh, when they said yes, then we went down to the Vineyard Theater, and they said yes, and we did a a production, like sort of in the form of the WPA Theater Mm -hmm. in a very small space of Floor of the Red Menace. I think we made about three hundred dollars for the whole summer, and but everyone saw it. It became sort of had a little cult following. Right. And from then, I went to to work for Hal Prince and um, with Don Giovanni, and then uh, Showboat. Uh, Cantor and Ned became good friends, so we created The World Goes Round, the Off Broadway Show, right. and Liza saw it. So I ended up doing Liza's big show at Radio Music Hall. Right, right. Stepping uh, out. Stepping out with yeah, Liza yeah. and for HBO, and so it all. Um, 
from that one chance that we took, uh, it, it was a huge stepping stone to the rest of our careers. And you know? when you were putting together the show at the Vineyard, yes, did, was uh, you know was it grabbing? For, I mean, was it something that they were producing? Was it something where they said, "All right, here's X amount of dough. We'll give it. We'll give you the space during the summer." Um, yeah, I think it, it was that. It was uh, they liked the idea of it because it it, it was a show, a Broadway show that didn't didn't work on Broadway, but. It had. It was fascinating what it was about. As a young girl who falls in love with a communist and uh, has to cross a picket line, and 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 uh, uh, all, all those sorts of dramas, <laughs> and a group of artists living together in a loft. All it's wonderful things. Right. It's meets Billy yeah, <laughs> so they, yeah, so they, uh, so the vineyard really were. They were very attracted to it, and of course the idea of Candor Nibs music down there. And uh, uh, Vianne Cox played Flora, and uh, it, it was it was wonderful. And what's great about it is that uh, even now, to tell the story further, when Cantor Neb and I were working on the Scottsboro Boys, uh, it was where to take that. And uh, so I thought, what if I took this down to Doug Abel to the Vineyard Theater after not being there for ten years or twelve years, however long ago that was. Wow. And it turned out to be a wonderful experience, and and uh, and and it was the right choice to take it back there, yeah. where we all started together. Yeah, you, you know, know I, I I don't know uh, John Cantor particularly well, but I've had the good fortune of having a, having a meal with him, yes. and he talked um, very movingly about having an artistic home, and how that's something that is a newer part of his career. You know, that there yeah. was a time when. Uh, you know, he didn't necessarily know where he could go and incubate. Yes. You know, and um, this idea of making your own work, which you're talking about, uh, especially as, you know, we all kind of get him to say, all right, all right, New York City. I know there's a few other people trying to do this, but how can I grab this and take this and this idea and this bit of music and find a place to go to cook it? Yes. You know, and, and I mean, to go back there, I mean, how how, how I know, was It was that? wonderful. I mean, Doug... Uh, gave us a reading and and then another reading and then and then decided he would produce it. But he he was also because he's not only gave us the space. He's a uh, very good friend and dramaturg and was very very helpful with the development of it. And it was perfect in that space. And it ended up being uh, well. John Kander's the you know the nicest man in all show business. Not only the most talented but very, you know, a wonderful wonderful man. And um, so to be able to spend so much time with him, too, was a joy. And it was um, a different piece for us to do because we wanted to do... When you're in the musical theater, you're uh, more in a fantasy world, and even your stories that you tell is fantastical. We wanted to tell a true story, and that's how the whole uh, idea came. A lot of times when I do shows, it's because I have a visual idea, like a girl in a yellow dress, or or someone hands you a film script and you need to make it into a theater script like the producers, or um, you just get around with collaborators who you like and think, what can we do? And that's how the Scottsboro Boys came out. We said, what can we do? And why not do something that was based on uh, real truth? With that idea, we went back to all the famous trials in America and researched the 10 most famous and the one of the most famous trials was the trials of the Scottsboro Boys. And uh, realizing um, how rich it was with characters and, um, and how interesting it would be to have these black men play 
white men, play white characters, play white women, uh, to have a group of nine guys play out this story. And because it takes place in the 30s, it opened John Kander up to a great, great sound of he's, you know, for ragtime music, and he he is uh, understands that time period so beautifully. So he was on a roll musically, and um, you know, we we started it with Fred, but sadly we lost Fred, and and I thought it would go on a shelf and never come back again. But John called now about three years ago and said, "Well, let's look at this again," and I mm. said, "Sure." Well, you know, the, that sh the show, you know, and its investigation of truth and what is truth at, at some level, you know, this idea that this is what the record says, yes. and so and this is what gets passed down. Um, I had a chance to talk to Moises Kaufman about gross indecency. Mm -hmm. Again, looking at, um, you know, fact and artifact and realizing that the conflict of two people who are in the same room, we said, this is what happened, and then the other person saying, no, no, this is what happened, there's... There's, yes. there's drama there. Absolutely. You know, and, and, that, and, and the idea that you had to come up with some sort of way in to explore this truth. Right. You know, what, whatever, was, whatever that means. Right. Um, you know, I, I, having seen it in both places, having mm -hmm. seen it down there, and then get a chance to see it again. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and someone who tries to work in the musical theater, I think, um, uh, to, to give myself an opportunity to see where something is at one step in its development, and then to see where else it can go. Yes. But I was struck in, in both places by that, by that struggle, the struggle that you guys took on to, uh, to really tackle something as large as, you know, what is, what is real, what is the truth, mm -hmm. and, and to get in, and then to also realize we're making anything of entertainment. Yes. Um, you know, and yeah. I just was just sort of sitting there and absorbing and absorbing and just kind of getting knocked on my ass a little bit, yeah. and then wanting to come back and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole, whole play is about uh, what happened when uh, two girls told a lie that destroyed the lives of nine men. So it even, not only the truth about the trials, the truth about the boys, it was all based on someone telling a lie and destroying nine lives, you know. Yeah. So, um, and yes, and, and then that daunting task of making it entertaining. Right. You know. Right. Uh, so. Were, were you, you know, and, and the other thing that you mentioned about this, that uh, this, this process that is uh, something that I certainly am f finding out and, and becoming more um, appreciative of, it's really all about who's in the room. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, um, and this is something I've found in, you know, whether it's this sort of ridiculous process of casting that, <laughs> that exists here where, you know, someone has this amount of time to figure out if we want to go and try to spend a year together. Right. You know, from 8 o'clock to 10.30, we know what folks are going to be saying and doing and standing. Mm -hmm. It's all the time up until then, right? Yes. Like, once the curtain goes up, we know what's supposed to happen. Yes. But how are we going to spend 8, 10, 12 hours in a room with somebody? <laughs> you know, and, if, and, you know, if you have candor to your left, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, who I can know. I grab to arm myself with Absolutely. to be in that room? Absolutely. And, and so, and because that's a relationship that has had existed and in that place, with you guys having done so many things in between, how is that interfacing again, you know? Well, it's good. I mean, and David Thompson, the wonderful mm -hmm. writer, I mean, it, it's just, you know, co collaboration is key, I think, to the success of every musical, you know, because um, you have to be able to toss out an idea, even if you're not sure of it, toss it out and, and, uh, and have no judgments about it. Because even if it's a rotten idea, Somebody can take that idea and shake it up and make it into a, a bit of genius, and uh, so it it ha you have to be able to feel comfortable 
and be able to take uh, criticism. And uh, that's why the collaboration is key in, in creating these musicals. When there is a bad egg in the room that, that you feel has walls up and barriers and, and uh, a giant, giant ego, you're in trouble. Yeah. And it generally doesn't change or get better. Yeah, no, no, when you think it will. Yeah, when you Clearly, feel it in your when stomach, with it's, me, it's got to be fine, but no, no. Yeah. Right now, I feel great, yeah, yeah, by the way. This is a beautiful good. collaboration. Good, good. <laughs> um, good, I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned to you is part of me wanting to get a chance to sit down with, um, with other directors and director choreographers is that we don't often get a chance to be in the room together. Yes. But this is something that you have done and are about to do again. Mm -hmm. what, you know, what is the, the with, uh, with Mr. Prince, you know, mm -hmm. the, oh, the, yes. the process mm -hmm. of co-directing, yes. uh, you know, and it's something that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, as a young director, of course, you're trying to make your mark, like, I gotta have to get my voice out there. Yes. You know, and then there's a place where you can say, all right, let's two of us try to yeah. crack this nut. How, how does, how does... Well, that... the thing with Hal, I'm working with Hal Prince right now, uh, we're doing a retrospective of Hal's work, and, mm -hmm. and it actually will go into rehearsal uh, next summer, next June, and, uh, but, but, you know, we're, we're meeting, you know, once a week to talk about what it could be, because there's so many possibilities. It's sort of like um, uh, Jerome Robbins' Broadway or uh, Sondheim on Sondheim, but mm -hmm. it's all Hal's work, and, and, you know, it's rich. So there's rich. nothing to choose from. No! <laughs> How are you going to fill it? How are I know, gonna... I know, I know. Really, how we're going to cut it down—that's the thing. Right. Uh, so, but it's great, you know. How uh, how is very collaborative. I mean, he. Uh, it's interesting because John Kander will say that how Prince taught him how to collaborate, and I can say that John Kander taught me how to collaborate. Kander Neb taught me, so it's really passed down. Right. So he is a great collaborator, and he's always up for ideas. And this is someone who, you know, gave you an opportunity. Coming out yes. of you know uh, the show, right with the yeah. Well, he came down uh, uh, to see that off Broadway hole in the wall version of Florida the Red Menace at the Vineyard, and and uh, he recognized something in me or in my work that made him call, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, you know we've remained dear friends and admirers ever since. So when he called about this, I thought. You know, it, it would not only be a wonderful thing to do and a wonderful tribute to Hal, but just to be in a room with him again, you know, so right. it had to be. Yes, yeah. And, you know, that's a relationship that has continued to evolve and define itself. I mean, because yes. it started out as him saying, here's an opportunity, yes. and then you continue to work with him. But now to be yeah. the two of you in the front of the room, yeah. I mean, is, is pretty thrilling. I mean, yeah, I, it's great. No, and, and it's, it's great just to be... In, in his office, you know. Well, I remember the first time I went to his office and there were 20 Tony Awards all lined up. And I, you, you know, you stare at him and you actually are not listening to anything he's saying because you can't believe you're looking at him, you know. And now to go there and, you know, share, share a tuna sandwich with him all the time, you right. know, and, and, and laugh about the day. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. Well, yeah, I, I remember hearing a story about a designer that worked with him that went, you know, got the call. And the meeting was at nine, and they got there at eight fifty, and there they were, yeah. you know, vibrating in the other room. Yeah. And uh, his, his secretary at the time said, "Do you want some coffee?" And he said, "Yeah, um, milk and sugar would be great." And the door opened, and Mr. Prince beckoned. He went in. The door closed. He said, "So you want to do the show? Yeah, it's going to go like this." Da da da. The door opened. The woman was handing him his coffee, and the meeting was over. Oh yeah. And it happened from 8.58 to 8.59, and that was, that was it. And he's it. like, so did that go well? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And then he was off. <laughs> then he was off. And then it was, you know. Well, no, he has a high energy. You know, I have to have a cup of coffee before I go in there. You know, when right. when you're in, in, in his 
the ante room ready to go into the to his office. Sometimes he opens the door like Kramer up on Seinfeld, and he'll come swinging into the the front room, and you know, like right. oh, hello, you know, he has so much energy. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, you know, energy is something that's um, you know, there's the there's a lot of you hear that word a lot working in the theater about someone's energy. Yeah. And there's it's about levels of energy. It's about a kind of feeling. Right. And I know that it sort of becomes a catch-all for sure. your gut. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, the question that, you know, people ask a lot, you know, how do you know it's the right project? How do you know it's the right person? It's, it's a feeling. It's an, you know, it's all of those, sure. those things. And, and that's something that I also learned can be honed and cultivated as well. Right. You know, which Absolutely. I didn't, you know, at first, you know, when you're saying yes to everything, yes, you're like, I got to say yes, I got to get my work out there. And then there's also this, the, the, the point where you realize, oh, if I feel this now, I can't make that go away. Good, bad, or, you know, we're talking about, you know, and to be able to listen to that. Absolutely. There was a, I I was, um, I had had a show on Broadway, Cantor and show called Steel Pier, Mm -hmm. and that didn't last very long, but it had a great great amount of choreography in it, and uh, Andrew Bishop saw it, and he, he, uh, called me into his office and again that was Andre Bishop oh my god Lincoln Center oh my goodness you know uh, and uh, he just said uh, how much he loved the choreography of Still Pier and he said if you have an idea we will help you develop it mm-hmm. and that was like hearing music you know because most producers hand you an old revival script and say hey kid you want to do this you right. know so to, to hear that that someone would support you in creating something new was was music to my ears and I I two weeks before had been in a club in the meatpacking district about one in the morning and you know where every good New Yorker Susan Stroman rocking it out (laughs) yeah where every good New Yorker was wearing black yes and uh, in walked a girl in a yellow dress and she would step forward when she wanted someone to dance with her and she would retreat back when she was finished with them and I thought to myself that girl will change some man's life tonight and um, and then like Brigadoon, she disappeared. But the visual of her in this sort of sea of New Yorkers in, in black outfits remained in my head. So when Andre said, do you have an idea? I said, I do have an idea. And it was because that vision was so strong in my head. And I called my good friend John Weidman. Mm-hmm. And we sat down. And so that show came to be because of a, a visual first. And then the idea of creating a short story about a man, if he didn't make contact that night, would die. And uh, that's, that's how contact came to be. And it ended up running, you know, over three and a half years at Lincoln Center. So the person, she, her life, that was actually changed was you. You thought it was <laughs> yes. some guy, but it was actually, actually you were, life, you were yeah. the one. Absolutely. And all the people that, uh, that, that uh, yeah. brought it to, to life. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there's been a, you know, a, a nimbleness and a fluidity for what you've been able to do that I think is, is certainly sort of amazing. Um, and you know, this idea that there is a time in where you're, where we're always hustling, right? And that's what we realize. The hustle never stops. And if it does, then you probably should do something else. Yes, <laughs> um, absolutely. But to have someone say, you know, the first time you hear, all right, what do you want to do? Yes. As opposed to interpret this, take this, you know, can also be very daunting. You know, yes, I mean, it is daunting. You know, I, I, I'll never forget when Peter Martins, I had done for up at New York City Ballet, I'd done a a uh, 15-minute dance piece for him for a celebratory evening um, with some other choreographers, and it went very well. And then he called me into his office after that and said, uh, I'd love for you to do a full-length ballet for the New York City Ballet. And I, I but didn't say, and base it on, or here he is, and, and whatever you want to do. You kept waiting for the rest of the sentence. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I walked out of there thinking, could I really do this? And then I realized I had to do it. It was like an opportunity 
to be the first woman to be asked to do a full-length ballet, to be all of that. And how, how can I bring my theater skills to them and create some evening? And, um, you know, it was one of those ideas where I thought to myself, what's the closest thing to ballet? Silent film. And I love silent films, so why not do a nod to uh, the silent films? And, and, you know, Charlie Chaplin was truly a dancer. So I created a piece uh, with Glenn Kelly uh, called Double Feature, and, and now it's in their repertoire, and it'll be brought back next year. And, and uh, you know, I brought in Willie, Willie Mabby Long and Robin Wagner and, uh, you know... Copy your pals. <laughs> yeah, and uh, created... A first act was a melodrama, and the second act was a comedy. And uh, But yes, now I have to say, you don't hear that... I was very lucky to hear that from Peter Martins and Andre Bishop. You don't hear it much more today because right. of the financial problems. That's why there's so many revivals on Broadway. People will invest in a revival before they will invest in a new show. So it's a bit tricky now. Things have changed. Yeah. I mean, you know, even when you talk about having an idea and going off Broadway to the vineyard yes. with your idea with Scott yeah. is something that's a very different kind of risk now. That, it is that, very different you know, kind of risk. People, it's like, who's in it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know it's at the vineyard and it's 99. You know? I know. I know. It, it's, it, it's a different time. And, and, you know, this idea when you... When you walk into a room, you've walked into a lot of rooms and yes. wearing uh, well, one hat, but different hats, if you know what I mean. Yes. That's for. <laughs> um, when you walk into to make a ballet with, you know, people that have been trained in a different way or in a specific way, um, and have cultivated different parts of, of themselves, is what's the, what does that feel like? Does it feel like a a different kind of home for you? Do you you know? And yes, I mean it's different. It's it's. Uh, I've done a few pieces now for ballet companies, and there is a sense of freedom there. In, in the theater, you are, you have to respect and pay homage to and support the lyric and um, the, the story and a particular character. And in the ballet world, there's a sense of freedom. In the, in the, in, in the theater, you are choreographing uh, for a specific man. In the ballet, you are dancing the role of every man. So it's it's a different a different world, but I love it, and I am able to take what I learned from them and apply it to the theater. And as a matter of fact, I just did a workshop, a four week workshop. I just finished last week with Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty, and it's based on the more untalented people you surround <laughs> yourself with. And it's based on the story of um, a, a story we created uh, from the Degas statue of the little dancer at 14. You know, she's standing in fourth position, very famous statue, mm -hmm. one of the ten greatest statues ever. And uh, we created a story about that little girl and how she came to be and how her, what her relationship was with Degas. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, when Degas created that piece of art that is now the most famous, it got the worst reviews ever in his life. He was so upset, he put it away in a closet for 40 years and didn't come out till after he died. And now it's hailed as one of the greatest. So it's about art not recognized in its time. But with this story, of course, I'm bringing classical ballet to the musical theater. So, um, so now I'm able to apply what I've learned from all my work in these ballet companies. And it went very well. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's that idea of um, your career sort of being a stepping stone. Because I think you, even if your show is doesn't financially do well or critically do well, it will always artistically do well for you because whatever you've learned from that show, you absolutely apply to the next show. 
Right. And there's also something, you know, this idea that with when you when you make something, there I think is the the struggle early on too of who who do you want it to be embraced by? Um, and there are probably different phases in, in one's life. And some people probably uh, never care about critics. Some people, you know, it's always about, you know, the audience or their peers and this and that. And then there is this moment of uh, the understanding of populism, you know, and just the idea of making something for the people. Yes. And because it's, you know, I guess there is a version of us taking something and putting it in a closet. But the, the amount of people that are involved with making that you know, that have to come together to do it, you know, the the responsibility that we have, it, it feels different, I'm sure. You know, the one-on-one relationship of a, of a sculptor or of a painter is something that I can only imagine. Yes. But there is, you know, but, you know, our position in, in, in the room of bringing a group of people together, making sure that we all sort of understand what's going on and, and how can we move forward together, that that responsibility feels very great to me. It's something I'm very aware of. Yes. And so I, I realize... Um, at one point, I think it was reading a, uh, a review that was, you know, which is which just didn't punch you in the nose, right? Because at first you're just like, just don't punch me in the nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I remember um, when off Broadway with Heights, which was really the first time that I had been exposed in that way um, to, uh, you know, a certain kind of pressure. Right. That when the reviews were were pretty good. And I and I found out that night something released in inside of me that I realized had been holding my ribs together. Like, I didn't even know that I wasn't breathing deeply. Yes. I just realized like, oh, I, you know, I, I feel like in some way I'm all of all of us are here for the same reason. Yes. Um, and I didn't know that I was carrying that around. I mean, how how do you having been on all sides of it and it just it just <laughs> happens, you know, where where do you put all that stuff? I mean, how does? Uh, well, it's do difficult to um, it's difficult to be criticized. Uh, you know, uh, it's. Because you want everybody to love what you love, and um, you know, I've been very lucky that that all the experiences that I've had, I've really loved the process, um, and uh, it's been very rare that I've come up against something that I had a hard time with. Uh, but it's it is it is difficult. Uh, that's why I say if if even if it's not financially or critically loved, mm-hmm. uh, if you in your heart uh, have loved it and have loved the Collaboration and the work with the actors, um, you know, the, you have to hang on to that. It's, you know, it, and it, 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 I'd like to say it gets easier as you get older, but it doesn't get easier uh, to hear someone doesn't like something. You, you let go of it sooner than you used to when you were younger. Right. If someone doesn't like it, okay, fine, and you move on, you know, whereas when you were younger and someone didn't like it, it was like, what the hell? What show did they see? Yeah. You know, you hung on to it longer, but, but, uh, but uh, even though you get older, it it, it it's it's it still stings. It's all about ultimately building up a critical mass of of word of mouth. Right. And if you can get to a place yes. where no matter what's written, people Absolutely. are saying, "Hey, go here and look at this. Yeah. You go here and watch this. Go here and see this. Whatever that is, and have this experience yes. that something can exist for whatever time that is." Absolutely. You know, and um, you know, in a world where. You know, the first thing that you know when a show opens or closes, it's like how many performances. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like, right? There, there are things we can't quantify, and of yes. course, we, we like to think about all the lives we've changed. I know, absolutely. You know, um, for, who cares about performance? Yeah. It's about these other things. <laughs> yeah, it's how many people you've touched. That's exactly or right. Changed. That's right. Yes. You know, and, and there is something about um, trying to, you know, find uh, ways to evolve yourself and challenge yourself. Um, when I did this play about Vince Lombardi, it took this part of my life 
playing sports for the first 18 years of my life. But I was like, no, 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 that's another thing. Right. Now I'm going to go and do this. And right. then I started to think about this, this idea. And I thought, you know, people save their playbills. People save their ticket stubs. People go and they catch a foul ball, they hold on to it. They'll hold on to that, you know, that scorecard, that lineup, mm -hmm. all of those things. Yeah. It's the same thing. We're, we're going to be moved. The reality is sports, you don't know who's going to win. So yeah. right, you can go and your favorite team can lose 15 nothing, And it's a very different experience. Yes. At least at the end of the show, though it feels like it's for you, there is something yes. that is ordained. Yes, but absolutely. this gamble that you're taking, right? I mean, there's a, there's a contract with an audience. And I, I found that maybe there is a way for these things to converge. That yes. it's about inviting more people to the dance. Right. You know, as absolutely. it were. Absolutely. You know, and I think you've certainly found in, in your work, there's a... There's a lot of people that uh, probably weren't considered by the Broadway audience as being a Broadway audience. Right. But it's about if you give people something they're going to like, they're going to come out and see it. Yes, absolutely. You know, they're going to come out and see it. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've also, and I was mentioning your nimbleness earlier, <laughs> you know, the idea with, with Flora, for instance, was that yeah. something, when, when that's something that, that did exist and mm -hmm. you had an idea of how to crack it again? Yeah. When you, you talked about, um, you know, and whether there's, you know, there's a, there's a big or there's a producer. You know, there's things that come from other source right, material as sure. you're balancing it. Um, what do you follow to, to, you know, I mean, obviously there are the opportunities where Andre Bishop will say, do you have an idea? Right. But, you know, in, obviously in each of these periods, uh, things come at you from different ways. How, how do you... But it's all different, you know, because even um, something, you know, it's, it's really, because a lot of times it's just who you want to work with. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, getting in a room with uh, John Weidman and saying, "What could we write about? What could we do?" You know, and and um, trying something else, trying a new idea. Um, it's 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 different. It's all different the way it comes. Or or a producer will hand you a movie script and say, "Can you help me with this?" And um, what I love most is creating things from absolutely nothing, from scratch. You know, like this workshop I just did with Lynn and Stephen, or something like Contact, or. Something where it just comes out of your imagination. You know? What existed when you went into the room for the beginning of this workshop, for instance? This just one, this last particular one. Right. What did what was what was in existence? Was it an idea? Was it a couple songs? Oh was no, it a we was it we had worked. Done? No, we we worked for two years. Okay. You know, um, around this table. You know, that's the thing people don't realize when a musical opens. People have worked on it for years for free, for nothing. Yes, yes. You know, uh, just eating bagel upon bagel upon bagel, right. trying to figure out. You know, so when we went into the workshop, we I, I want to go into a workshop with it as fully realized as possible, with as much work done as possible. So then you really use the workshop to hone it. You know, I think I don't I don't know that workshops are always helpful. I, I think when there's a lot of choreography, they are, and there was a lot of there's a lot of choreography in this. But I do think readings are very helpful. I think uh, hearing hearing um, scripts read back to you by real actors are extremely helpful. So I think um, people doing one or two readings before they dump a lot of money into a show is a great idea. Right. I mean, and and the, the challenge that it is now is directing for the reading versus thinking about the show. You know, so much. Right. I mean, because the reality is. If, if you're doing a reading and you have 29 hours to do it or yes. whatever amount 29. of 29. What is that hour? What is that 29? Yeah. I know. I know. I'd like to talk to someone about that. Yeah, we're going to sort that it's out. It's hours 28 to 29. I, I know. And then you're trying to manipulate how to get right. two actors to do like, oh, my God. You're like, who? Is week. it one actor for 29? I know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, this idea that, but in that room, in that given presentation, you know, there is a larger idea that this would become a show. But yet, yes. you know, and managing that expectation, I guess that... Well, I think the thing is for these readings, uh, 
you've got to do one reading just for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you are right. Then you're doing a reading that you're almost pitching the show for uh, money people or possible producers. But um, you've got to get a reading in that is just, even if it's not, you know, get get a two or three actors around this table or something. You know, um, it's because the funny thing when you're with writers and you read something with each other, you can think that's really funny. Right, right. <laughs> Until you have like a real actor read it to you. Oh, that's not funny at all. Right. He, he, you know. um, but having those readings for yourself, I think, are really important. And then, yes, uh, directing a reading for to pitch. But I think people understand the kind of... I th- the goal when I do those kind of readings is just lining the people up so they're as close as possible to the people they have to relate to. And actors will relate, even though they've got a music stand mm-hmm. and a script in front of them, they will do anything they can to relate. So if it's just um, sorting that out. And if you have to do one or two moves and you can squeeze that in in 29 hours, you should, just to get the, more, more so to get the actors near each other to relate with one another. Right. I mean, it is, um, you know... I actually, I love the idea of um, hearing some of your early readings. You personally, you know, Susan sitting yeah, around here, yeah. you know, doing your readings, because there is certainly, you know, when it's just you and the writers and, you know, yeah. composer and lyricist and a book writer or what have you, and it is a table, it's like, all right, who's going to do what right now? Right. Um, and just taking it off the page, you know, it's something, I'm, I'm not a writer. I've, I've written enough to appreciate the difficulty and the, mm-hmm. the terror of it in yes. a certain sense. Um, even just putting something in front of a group of people even if they're your dearest friends, what that means when you, when you hand it out, you know, all those things like, all right, so let me just say something before we do this. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, the, and yeah. the, the few times I've been brave or foolish enough to try that, to, to know what that, that exposure is, you know, and I think so much of what I feel, um, I guess I'm trying to do ultimately is create an environment, whether it's two of us around a table, whether there's 30 of us in a room, where people feel like they can walk in and say, all right, let me push this to the center of the room and let's just see what happens. Right. You know, and, and how one creates creates that space and creates that environment. Right. Um, which is something that I think um, is, again, I, you know, and you talked about some of your path because you, you assisted and you ended up being in those rooms. When did you know, as someone who didn't, I didn't do a lot of assisting. I started mm-hmm. a little theater company because no one mm-hmm. would hire me. <laughs> and started, you know, throwing our stuff against the wall. When, you know, was there a moment when you realized it was time to say, all right, um, I need to do my own work? You know, that it's now time for me. Were you assisting and directing at the same time? No, or I think, did you, sort of I, you know, I have right? to say, I, I knew that at a very young age because I would be creating different little shows. I was that kid who caught all the neighborhood kids in the corner at the cul-de-sac and put on a show and just created something. So I, I knew, I think at a very young age, that I had that in me. Um, it was just when I came to New York, I was making sure I was honing my craft appropriately and properly before I exposed it to the masses, you know. Right. But um, I, mean, I remember one particular review I got from The World Goes Round where... Um, they loved the show and they loved the staging and they, you know, it was Frank Rich and I thought, oh my God, maybe, maybe this can really happen, you know, and uh, I remember that particular moment. Right. But um, it, it has always been in me to be a storyteller. You know, um, my, my father would tell big fish stories and I would wonder if they're true or not and the, so it's it's uh, it's very much part of me to to be a storyteller. So right. I don't think there was a yeah it, 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 
you know. It, it was just unlocking something that was yes. not. It wasn't. There wasn't a conscious decision to make it. You know, I yeah. I worked as a personal assistant um, for three and a half years um, for Audra McDonald. Oh, um, great! Uh, we love her. Yes, she's a good one. Um, from middle of two thousand one, when I sort of moved to New York uh, for about three three and a half years, and. I was. I started out as a better assistant than director, and uh-huh. then the, it's, there was a moment when we were probably equal. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized that it, it was most fair to her and to myself mm-hmm. to find someone to replace me and to actually be able to say when someone asked me, "What do you do?" Right. To take ownership over saying, "I'm a director." Right. Um, you know, I was. She gave me this great. Uh, access in a way because she'd be very cool with me hanging out in places yeah, yeah you wouldn't just hang out in the room and I would just sit and listen and listen yeah. um, and and then there was a moment when I I remember seeing somebody that I had met through Audra but I was sort of seeing them with I'm like no no I'm a director now right and I was like oh perception right. you know how people are going to think about me and how I uh, how I'm putting myself into the world and it is going to define a lot of that right. and so I actually there was a moment when I thought I have to do this now. I, I have to say goodbye to the job that is paying me, and say yeah. and say that that was this time, and it was an incredibly valuable time. Yes. But now I have to, you know, say, all right, I'm going to do this and yeah. and put that into the world. But you do. I mean, and, and like I said before, you can't wait for the phone to ring. You have to create it yourself. You yeah. know, you really do have to go out there and constantly create. Was that? I mean. There is a sort of mythology about getting to a certain place, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And people think then you just sit in front of the phone and just field calls. Oh, no. Um, did, no. Was that something that you knew? I mean, it seems like it's in your nature. This is probably the longest you've ever sat down in your life that I've had you right <laughs> now. So there is obviously an, an, uh, an energy that sort of courses through you that I can see you want to, to unlock and unleash. But was where, where did you get your information about what New York was? You know, I mean, like, were, were you someone that... You know, a lot of people in New York exists in this place. Oh, I had no, no real concept of it. No, it was more like Oz to okay. me. It was the land of Oz, everything about it. And scary, mm-hmm. you know. But I knew that if I was really going to succeed at this, um, you know, this is where you had to come. This is the only place to come. Right. And uh, so I knew I had to do it. And and when... And after, so the Goodspeed stuff sort of led to the, the other yeah. Goodspeed stuff. Where and when you actually took up residence in New York, where were you when you first your your those early apartments? Oh yeah, I was on Eighty First Street between Amsterdam and Columbus. I was there for about fifteen years. Okay, yeah. so, so this <laughs> yeah. was not just a, st- no. a stop off. This no, is a place this is it. Yeah, I was it. Yeah, I was there, and I think the rent was like two hundred fifty dollars or something. Oh wow, amazing! And it did was you amazing? And then it went up to like you know two two eighty five or something. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to live? I know, absolutely. And were you living? with people were you with your oh, friends, yeah, people yeah, in the business or? Oh, yeah yeah different roommates all the time and you know always had roommates but there's my apartment it, it's um this idea because you've had a lot of people in your shows that have gone on to direct and choreograph and mm-hmm. do lots of work um if only i hadn't been one of your shows yeah. <laughs> <laughs> andy blankenbuehler um but you know this relationship with scott is a is an interesting one yes because you guys were both there and then mm-hmm. you did pick you did something else together picnic right? together yeah and um yeah i mean we and steel pier together right you know um but we've always remained really good friends i mean now he's a big time television director you yeah. know he's ex- executive producer of weeds and 
you know, and but uh, you know, he called yesterday, and uh, you know, he's see the phone rang. See the phone rang. We didn't have <laughs> to job. No. <laughs> he's like, hey, remember we did that <laughs> <Yeah>. thing? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, but it was interesting. It's interesting who you cross paths with, you know, um, because I happened to cross paths with someone who wanted the same thing I did, and um, you know, that's that was a chance, mm-hmm. you know, that just we started to talk about the same thing about. We had this vision of creating rather than performing, right? And uh, and that was just chance. What, so it's interesting how what happens with the people that you meet along the way. And what is that feeling when you see somebody that was in your show and, and you know because you had this thing in you too where you said I'm doing this and I'm gonna you know when you were performing I, I have no doubt you were full out. Don't worry, I'm not, yeah, you, were, yeah. you were not taking it. There was no mark from you, yeah. um, but you also knew there was something else. Yes. Um, that you want that you wanted yes. to to cut your teeth on yeah. for the people that have that kind of come through. What's it like going to see their shows? I mean, to see someone that was you know in the ensemble, you know, or like Casey or you oh, know, yes, you know, I mean, what's I that? Mean, what is that feeling? Is I it, mean, uh, Casey, Nicola, and and uh, Rob Ashford were both in Crazy Few. Right. You know, no, it's thrilling. You know, absolutely thrilling to see them, it, and yeah. and to watch their career. And somebody like Warren Carlyle, who assisted me on several shows, to see him just rise, you know. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I, I think I feel very on the outside of that part of it because I, I'm very fortunate that I came up with a group of friends who, some are still doing this, some are not, and we kind of came up together. But I, um, I, I, I didn't have uh, a director mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, I sort of had to go and find them by sitting in, in their shows and watching their shows and just in, in learning. Um, and you know, the there's um, you know, I think exists in a certain way uh, in the world of uh, you know choreographers in a, that's, that's distinct from directors. Right. And that m- more choreographers dance than don't dance, and, and mm-hmm. eventually, um, if they won't decide to choreograph, they will. You know, with directors, this uh, this relationship with your assistant or your associate, and then there is a moment, I assume, when they sort of need to go out and do their own work too. Mm-hmm. You know, and and knowing when that is. So I always, yeah. uh, I, I don't know, I always I think missed that part of it. You know, because yes. I was not a performer for, right. which is good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ransom of Red Chief in fifth grade was really when I uh, when I thought I should step away from the stage. Um, well, somebody like Warren, I mean, he did it in the most gentlemanly and beautiful way. He assisted me on. On uh, uh, Oklahoma, and uh, and uh, also center stage the movie, and uh, and then of course the producers, and then of course he mounted uh, producers in the different countries and the national national tour. And when it uh, came to go to London, he had a conversation. He said, "This this will be the last one," and uh, and I appreciated that. You know, he wasn't trying to moonlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. Totally devoted to me and that show, and then spoke right out about this is when it would stop. And I, you know, wish him so well because he he was did it in the most wonderful way. He knew it was time to go. I knew it was time for him to go. Yeah. And he went after he finished his job. Yeah. And uh, it was great, really, really great. Somebody like uh, Casey, I could recognize. Casey did a lot of shows for me, as did Andy, and you could recognize. In them, a creative uh, spark that was different from the others. That um, there was something about them that they would always bring to the table as actors, always bring to the show. They were 100% present in the show, and um, 
so I could recognize even then. So when I heard that they were seeking out to become choreographers or directors, it was that, oh, a natural, very, very natural thing. Right. Because there are some performers that you notice that there's something in their create, creative juices that's different, that's not quite as myopic. They're doing something for the entire show or the journey of the show for everyone. And uh, that's something to recognize. So it was not a surprise that they have gone on. Yeah. Well, in, uh, as you talk about people that knew when to say goodbye, I feel like I have taken enough of your time. <laughs> so I will use this as my out and say thank you very much for sitting with me. Absolutely. It's been wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. This Masters of the Stage program was made possible by support from Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.